eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Welcome to On the Bench. I am your host, Brendan Sinone. I am joined today by the normal crew, Josh Newberg, Christopher Nee. Hey guys, did you know that David Yak Johnson coached at St. Augustine High School in New Orleans? It's actually the same exact high school where FSU just landed a commitment today and that's where our podcast starts FSU landed a pledge from Byron Turner aka the boogeyman this is a a nice get three-star defensive end high end three-star defensive end for the Seminoles so we're doing like a semi-emergency podcast fellas one did you know that little tidbit I dropped and, and two uh how's it going I feel like I heard that somewhere before yeah I remember hearing it I just don't know where from Chris probably told me you son of a bitch. <laughs> okay, so this was well. First off, Josh, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw this to you. I sound like Porky Pigs and Hemina, Hemina, Hemina. You mentioned kind of prophetically Byron Turner on our last podcast. All three of us were together when we were talking about the defensive end board and some tweaks and adjustments to it. And and you said pretty much like he was one of your favorite guys of the obtainable kind of the second tier after you went down with uh, Zyron Reeves and. Um, Oh, who's the kid from Orlando? Uh, Sean Bray oh, Jackson. Jackson. Yeah, Sean Bray Jackson. Thank you, Chris. And uh, and so, yeah, you, you kind of said you, you like him. We weren't sure if there was going to be a commitment this mm. soon. Uh, this was kind of a surprise. Is that fair to say? Yeah, slightly. Um, I didn't think, you know, I think everybody kind of had their eyes set on Kyron Montgomery when we spoke about it on the pod because Kyron had just narrowed down his top three to FSU, Minnesota, and Missouri. But he's a prospect out of Indiana. Um well, I guess him and Byron Turner, neither of them has visited yet. But, you know, New Orleans, it's only about a six-hour trip from New Orleans to Tallahassee. So we're, it's a big difference when we're talking New Orleans to Indiana. But um, I put out a uh, defensive end depth chart or recruiting board, mm-hmm. like an in-depth look at the recruiting board. I kept saying it was last week, but looking back, it's been over two weeks ago now. Um, time time kind of stands still and speeds yeah. up. And yeah, yeah. On the message board, I said that I put it out earlier this week. <laughs> I, wrote, I, I wrote a story yesterday, and it was, I think it said about a player who committed back in April, and it turned out it was mm-hmm. just in like late June, but I have no concept yeah. of time right now. Time's a weird thing right now. But anyway, I put out an updated look at the defensive end board with all of its targets about 14 to 16 days ago now. And internally, I guess it came out a little bit on the podcast. I didn't write this, but Byron Turner was my favorite name on the list. And I say that because he goes six, three and a half, almost six, four. He's got length, but he's also got size. He's 237 pounds. I mean, we're not talking about the 215, 220 pound defensive end. 
that we know needs to get on campus and get stronger. Um, he carries that 237 well. He plays quick. He plays strong. Um, we, I see him as a, a four-star prospect. We have him as a three-star. Not going to really get too upset over that right now. But where is he? I do Josh? think he, three, three high three hundreds. Do you have that in front of you? I, yeah, I have it all. Yeah. So I'll read the composite score first. It's a slightly different ranking on the on the twenty-four-seven sports. But he's the twenty-seventh-ranked defensive end in the country and the three hundred ninety-fourth best player overall. And we have him as the 25th best strong side defensive end on 24-7. So slight difference, slightly higher on the composite. But um, inside that top 400, I think we could see him definitely squeak into the top 350, possibly top 300 if there's a season and, uh, you know, everything goes as planned. Yeah, to add to Josh's point, I, I definitely think of that tier after Reeves and Jackson, who are the longstanding FSU targets at the position, that he was the best of the next bunch. I do like the combination of size. I feel like he can do a little bit inside, more of an outside guy, definitely more of a strong side guy versus a weak side guy. I like his film. He comes off the ball pretty well, decent with his hands, good at finishing plays. I think there's plenty to mold and develop there. I like any kid that comes out at St. Aug program in New Orleans. It's an excellent football program with a lot of lineage, good coaching. They did switch coaches after last season, but that was because of controversy, not because of success. They were a playoff team. He led a good defensive front, Byron did last season. So I do like what he's done on the field. I think the other nice thing about this commitment is it points to the efforts of Yak Johnson and his staff of making a push into Louisiana being worthwhile. You know, he's a guy, Destin pays on wide receiver, not yet committed, but a guy we feel like will end up in this class are two good examples of guys where FSU figured out LSU's not taking them, Alabama's not after them we're next. We can be next. And they've done a good job of identifying those types, investing the time, and now getting some returns on it. I think that's a good sign for something they've done because we've had the conversation of Tallahassee to New Orleans compared to Tallahassee versus to Miami. Truthfully, pretty similar. Where should you make the investment of time? Maybe you should invest in both. And I think FSU ultimately will. But I think in this case, they're showing that they knew of some targets. They had relationships with either the kid or the area or somebody tied to them that they're able to invest time in in Louisiana and go get. Why do you think they call him the boogeyman? Because he's scary off the edge. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to get you. Or it's like he he like all of a sudden shows up out of nowhere like Freddy Krueger, right? Like just bam, right there in the backfield. That's <laughs> Freddy Krueger. We're talking about the boogeyman. They're two separate. No, ones. Freddy Krueger was called the boogeyman. Was it? Yeah, he? yeah. Get your. I thought there was a boogeyman movie. What? Maybe. I mean, hang on. Yeah, there's been a couple remixes of the boogeyman movie. Good job. So. You've already you've already thrown Snow completely <laughs> off. You're like eight minutes in. Boogeyman. No. I mean, maybe he is a boogeyman, but he is not the boogeyman. I mean, there's some – the boogeyman – never mind. There's, we'll, Google, we'll address this on the message board later. Uh, too, too big of a loophole to fall down into. So I am with Chris and what we were discussing with his strengths. I like that he's quick off the edge. Chris mentioned his hands. I think Brian, Byron Turner uses his hands at a pretty high level for someone in high school. To me, man, the, the length is what stands out. And you see how he uses that on film, his ability to just reach out his paws and grab someone uh, and rip down a quarterback very effortlessly. And, and it, maybe like an angle that doesn't make sense, too. He's kind of kind of flexible and bendy. And, and as Josh mentioned, at 235 pounds, about six foot four, seems like he has the frame to keep growing. So it gives you some versatility in how you want to use him. Uh, do we consider him maybe like the, the Fox type for Florida State, given that he 
can do a little bit of everything. I think he's more on the other side, holding it okay. down, being a, being the bigger body and setting the edge. But then again, with the inability to see spring football around these parts, we're only going off what we've seen at Memphis and prior stops, stops for the staff. We don't know exactly what they're trying to accomplish up front with this team with this roster, with these guys. So it's tougher to place guys in some of those roles that are kind of to be determined with Florida State staff. Josh, do you still have his profile opened up on your computer? If so, please uh, please do so so that we can go over his offer list real quick. Because the offer okay. list uh, – I got it in front of me. So yeah. here it is. So in 2005, Boogeyman 1 came out. Well, in so 2007, <laughs> Boogeyman 2 came out. And in 2008, we had a Boogeyman 3. Hang on. Um, hang on. Now, if we're going to talk Byron Turner's offers, I also have that in front of me as well. <laughs> uh, he's been offered by Arkansas, Baylor, Colorado, Florida, Houston, Indiana, Kansas, Louisiana, La Tech, Louisville, Memphis, Michigan State, Mississippi State, Missouri, Nebraska, Nickel State, Oklahoma, Ole Miss, South Alabama, Tennessee, Texas, Texas A&M, Texas Tech, Toledo, Tulane, UAB, UCF, UCF. Vanderbilt, Woo! Virginia, and West Virginia. So Florida State rolled over several programs to get to Byron Turner. Including yeah. a big win. national champion from 2017. When I traded messages with Turner, I think two weeks ago, I didn't get him on this past Sunday when I hit up a bunch of guys, but I think it was right before I went on vacation. So about 10 days ago. I asked him what's next, and at that point it was a shorter list. He said around five or six. I expected that list to be Baylor, Florida, Florida State, Texas, Texas A&M, and Ole Miss as being the six or so. Um, so that kind of gives you an idea of the schools that were truly in it down the stretch for him that I know he had a keen interest in. He said he was communicating a lot with. And I think those are the ones we've mentioned in the commitment article, too. So that kind of gives you an idea of this isn't a kid who was running out of options and schools going away. So he picked up place. This commitment and I think the edit that he used to do it shows that it kind of came out of nowhere and he made the decision to do it. You know, that didn't look like an FSU made edit like we see for some of the other kids that commit where it's more planned. And I'll admit this one caught us slightly off guard. We, yeah, I, I was expecting a shortened list out of him sometime in the next week before July wrapped up because that's what he had told us at the end of June. And again, what he told us around mid-June and or I'm sorry, mid-July. And instead it was go ahead and commit, which is a good thing for FSU. I think this is a kid they can retain despite the fact they've never had him visit. I think if they are able to get him to visit that can happen. You know, as long as an LSU or an Alabama doesn't come along, I feel like FSU's kind of already beaten out the ones they got to be concerned about. And to go back on my point about FSU's push into Louisiana, they've offered 13 kids this year. They've landed, uh, obviously they landed Byron Turner today. That's the first. We believe they'll get Pizone. That's the second Destin Fat. And then a kid like Hargrove's another one. We feel like they're in the thick of it with uh, Keon Coleman's a guy that they did a good job with, but Kansas, Oklahoma were above them. So, you know, they weren't going to win out there. And then, you know, Andrew Jones is a kid where if the academics were in order a little bit more, I think there's a better chance he may have ended up in FSU's class instead of Memphis's class. So there's those types. Then there's the other ones they're fighting for, like the Sage Ryans. They're not going to get Sage Ryan. He's probably going to go to LSU. And if he doesn't go to LSU, he's going to go to another premier top five, six school currently in the college football landscape. But FSU's in deep with him, done a good job with him. It's kind of a whole transfer portal idea that we've applied to offensive tackles where – if this kid goes somewhere else, but you had a good relationship with him, if he decides to move on from that somewhere else during his college career, you may be in a conversation because you invested the time the first go round. No cheating. Which famous Hollywood actor was in the original Freddy Krueger movie, Nightmare on Elm Street? 
No. The original one? What year was the original? Uh, I think early 80s. 82, 83. I don't know. Who was it? Johnny Depp. Was he really? He was the uh he was the main love interest of the the protagonist, yes. I never loved Nightmare on Elm Street. And I like horror movies. Like I think it's a great horror movie in the sense of being scary as hell. I just never loved it. Like it's I love the old Halloween. The original Halloween to me is I see I love it. The music, the mass, the knife, it's got it all for me. Freddy Krueger was horrifying. One because he yeah, kind of looked like I my like dad. Freddy Krueger. Yeah, he looked he looked like my dad, which made and I, some issues I couldn't watch couldn't watch Hellraiser because the whole pins in the head thing just made so me uncomfortable. That's upsetting too. Yeah. All right. All right. Let's move. I take I'm glad we can settle that for this one. Um, it's also known fault. Yeah. No, as totally as normal. <laughs> Chris told me to not be obnoxious in the intro and I did an okay job at that, but I made up for it on the back end. Oh, here comes the rain. Uh, Josh, you did something today, kind of updating the defensive end board. And mm-hmm. we talk a ton about the defensive end board along with offensive tackle, obviously, because those are huge priorities. They're important positions and the positions. FSU doesn't have a whole lot of answers that currently or more so for the, the long road. So if you will, let's take a look at some of the defensive ends remaining mm-hmm. on FSU's board. And let's kind of do like a numbers count. Do we think, what, two more takes there potentially among Ed- Well, let's break it down players? real quick. So Florida State lands Byron Turner today. And he is the second true defensive end in the class, along with Gadsden County three-star Joshua Farmer. And then, so we got two true defensive ends right now. And then we got to take into account the fact that the staff also feels confident that four-star linebacker Brandon Jennings could play in the Fox role, could play linebacker, not exactly set exactly where he's going to land, but he's a potential guy that we could maybe pencil in as a pass rusher. And real um, quick, Josh, like Farmer also, I would think it's worth noting, he played linebacker in high school. Uh, I think he's he a bigger frame. And yeah, he but also he, possibly grown to defensive tackle, too. Like, he could. I, we, yeah, he, Farmer's been busting his ass during this whole pandemic. He's gotten big in a mm-hmm. good way. He's really well put together. He's an excellent athlete. He's more of a strong side type, in my view. But he's a body that is constantly evolving, but it's in a very good way. He, he's done a great job of shedding bad weight. His feet are much lighter than they were at this point a year ago. He, he looks good. He's the kind of kid that I think if they have a season this year, he's going to produce by far the best film of his career, and I don't think he's going to have a close second in his high school career. Josh, are you picking up a trend here amongst Chris? Uh, instead of moving a cornerback to safety or a tackle to guard, he's now pegging everyone as a strong side defensive end. This is yeah, a developing typical. trend to monitor. Typical. So – we got those guys on the board. Um, so let's call it two and a half defensive ends right now. Numbers-wise, I think Florida State needs one more one more defensive end to kind of round out the class. I think if they could find two elite or guys that they really value, I think there's room to take them. Um, let's do a quick rundown and update of the board. You have in-state defensive end. We'll call him a defensive end, Chambray Jackson, but he's versatile, could move up down to defensive tackle down the road. Uh, Zion Reeves, he's a six foot seven, two hundred forty-five pound defensive end. Um, he has visited Florida State. Right now, we see NC State and South Carolina is the biggest competition for him. For FSU, uh, Thomas J- Davis, the Georgia pass rusher that we've talked about, he picked up an offer from FSU about two weeks ago. Um, FSU is recruiting him in that Fox position. He's going to decide on August twenty-fourth. Right now, we feel pretty confident that Miami is considered the favorite. South Carolina in the mix as well. Um, We talked about Kyron Montgomery. FSU made his top three. No clear timetable on when he's going to make his decision. 
And then you have Landon Watson out of Texas. Uh, he was offered last month. He goes 6'3", 235. FSU likes him at the Fox position. Arizona State, Arkansas, Baylor, Penn State, Tennessee, Texas, and Virginia Tech. However, Watson is, at this point, considered a TCU lean. Um, he's good friends with FSU commitment Hunter Washington. But right now, we, we see him trending towards TCU. So I think the ideal situation with just the guys that we named right now would be would be adding like a Zion Reeves as a true pass rusher um, and then bringing in Shambray Jackson as well. You know, whether he works out as a defensive end or defensive tackle, who cares? Just bring them all. Yeah, and I agree with Josh there. I think those are your two longtime targets. I think the staff long ago identified them as the guys they wanted. I think Jackson's versatility of being inside or outside is something that's appealing. He would help satisfy some of the need at defensive tackle in this class too, while not taking away from the defensive end hall necessarily. And then with Reeves, he's a guy that if situations were normal and he was able to get down here multiple times, I think it would be pretty tough to beat FSU there. I think the fact of the pandemic and keeping guys home is probably helping NC State somewhat in that one in the sense of keeping it real close between the Seminoles and the Wolfpack. I think South Carolina's third, but by a healthy gap from those other two. Um, but that's one of those where Reeves isn't in a rush, and that's a good thing. If things do open back up and FSU can get him back down here and show some competency on the football field, I think they'll have a real shot with him of landing him. And he's a guy that his upside's enormous. He's got a great frame. He's fairly new to being the kind of player he has become. He can be really, really good long-term. The only other name I'd throw out from what Josh mentioned, Christian Zachary is a guy that we know FSU remains involved with. He's not mentioned FSU among his top six or seven, but he has recently mentioned that FSU is still making the effort despite being outside that group and that he's receptive to it. So he's a long shot, but he is listening. The last item I would like to talk about before moving on from the boogeyman, a.k.a. Freddy Krueger, a.k.a. Uh... I don't know. I don't have any other AKA. If you look at the message board response from our subscribers and, and listeners compared to the Twitter response, which I know it's Twitter. I, I fully understand that, but I, I like the take. You guys both like the take. It seems like the fan base, at least or in the Twitter sphere was kind of split by it because they're looking at the three star, uh, the stargazing. I would say this, everyone, this is a good take at a position of need. You're not done at defensive end, as Josh has said. So I would – don't freak out. Like, this is a good a good take at a position of need. Do you guys want to add to that? Not all three stars are created equal. Yeah. Very yeah. He's he's has the upside to move up to being a four-star, like Josh said at the very beginning of the podcast, and I and, would agree with that. He's a high-end, three-star, low-end, four-star. And FSU needs to get guys in this class at positions of need. Like, that's the thing. Like, you can't lollygag and wait because you don't know what the circumstances going forward are going to be. In a week, are they going to, you know, cancel the season? Are you going to play 12 games? Who the hell knows? Nobody's quite sure right now. Are you going to be able to get kids on campus between now and December? Nobody knows. You definitely aren't before September. So, like, that's the thing. Like, you can't just sit and wait and hope, oh, man, I hope we get Reeves and Jackson down the road and we, we can wait on these other guys. A lot of other guys are making decisions. The fact that FSU got a quality guy that they liked that they offered a while ago from a very good high school program where they know what the hell is going on at high school program because of the ties to the staff. Mm -hmm. I think it's worthwhile take. And I think the film's good enough to back that belief up and that his upsides there. He's not a guy that looks topped out by any stretch. Okay. One more recruiting item, and then we'll move on to some other topics. 
I got a little a little scoop for you guys. I know you're not used to me dropping the recruiting scoop. That's not really what I do here, but I got something. You ready for this? Maybe up on Knowles 24-7 by the time uh, this podcast is finished recording. Four-star running back Jalen White says, four-star out of Dothan, says FSU is in his top three with Florida and South Carolina. Told me earlier today. Wow. Mm-hmm. It's always good to get go against Florida for running backs, I feel like. For whatever reason, that position's been difficult. It's elusive for them. Yeah, it's, been yeah, like it's just the, weird. Uh, the Canes' inability to recruit defensive tackles, Florida State's inability to land offensive, offensive tackles. tackles. Everybody yeah. has a spot, and uh, UF seems to be running back the last two to three years. Yeah, it's just a weird deal. I do think uh, White's obviously an up, upper-tier target for FSU. They've got him on campus. They like him. They talk to him every two to three days. He's told both me and Sonone that here recently. I, I think Hargrove is still the dude for them at that position. I think he's a guy that fits what they want the most. I think he's a guy that they've kind of sunk their teeth in and with him backing off law tech and FSU being in the top three there with what Penn state and is South Carolina the third there too. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So there you go. So, you know, if you, if you have to split with South Carolina on those two, give me Hargrove over white, but I think they're both talented dudes who can help FSU. And I think FSU likes them both. And I think FSU would take two running backs in this class yeah. And after taking a bunch, if they were the right two, I could also see them if they landed Hargrove at the very top, being content with that too, and not having to dip down much further. Uh, White did say that, for context, that Florida and South Carolina are probably recruiting him a little bit harder right now than Florida State is in terms of, I think, just frequency. And But uh, it's still FSU's in good position. This was after a few weeks ago he listed the top 10. So it did see, seem like he was feeling the love from those three, maybe more than anyone else. And- FSU has been part of his top two, three, five, ten, and that number's kind of fluctuated up and down, but short and long dating back to when he visited. Um, I think when he came out of visit, he said top five. He was quoted soon after saying top three. Here we are a few months later, top three. So there's been a consistency about where FSU stood with him. Let's move on to Josh's favorite game, and that's dissecting our list of the 40 most important players of the 2020 season. We don't know when the 2020 season is going to happen. Hell, it may be in 2021. We don't know. But, hey, we spent the time to write a extensive, exhaustive list, composite type of style from uh, from us with help from Bud Elliott, Zach Blostein, Wayne McGahee, the Tallahassee Democrat, and Trey Rowland. Should I say formally of the role cast, Josh? He's still, yes, formally. He's still, he's still technically, like, propriety no we're replacing him there's a new oh. show coming out in two weeks what yep oh Did you just break news on here no we uh you know the big three world network had fsu uf and miami pods and trey was the the fsu oh, pod so, and so now with trey retiring there's going to be a new one but he could in. still do if he wanted to do the role he's going to have a monthly or weekly segment we've invited him to come on there if we he go the time. Good. Yes. trey's very talented and good at what he does oh, and anyway. i'm not involved in just like the role guy i'm not involved in it i just as, know as trey's had more kids he treated the podcast like grandparents treat the kids <laughs> They come and they see them, but when it's time to change the diaper, they hand it <laughs> off to the parents. Yeah. Anyways, so we finished the list on those 24-7 this week. It has been a grind because we released one pretty much every day during the weekday. So it started back in June. I'm happy it's done. I know Josh is happy it's done. This is not I think it broke Josh. It did. 
It certainly did. Not much breaks Josh either. And that, that got to go figure something that like Chris loves doing, like, like a monotonous list type of thing is, is the antithesis of what Josh enjoys doing. So Josh, this will be the last time we talk about it. It's all done after this, buddy. We, we made okay. it. We're at the end. Yeah. Till we do it till we do it for the spring season. You guys can, <laughs> you guys can do anything you want. I fully support it. The words Josh uttered yesterday morning, like at 6am were, why did I even bother doing this? Or why did I agree to do this is exactly what he said. <laughs> you should have heard what I said. That was just in the group chat. You should have heard what I was saying. I was fired up at 5.15 in the morning. Oh I was already, God. that was just the start of my day. <laughs> I was like, of all the things that could get you to, it's just a list of your opinion, man. <laughs> this is the easiest thing. Okay. I, I think I'm just sick of writing the same stuff, you know? I think that's all it is. We are. Wait, you mean four, four plus months of monotony gets old? Yeah. It with, hit me like literally yesterday. With not necessarily an end in sight either. I think is if there was yeah, a lot of the total. I'm gonna the, I'm uh, gonna sell Sonone out, but he sent me an individual text of I think Josh broke or something like that <laughs> yesterday. <laughs> I, was, I was concerned about him, and I was you guys only know I, the half of it. I was concerned that I played a role in it too. I think it was more my guilt. It was like, oh God, did this list do it too? I, I packed my shit. I moved out of the house for like five hours on yesterday. So right. yeah, it's a. Uh, if it makes you feel better, Josh, your personal breakdown has done the best numbers of the three personal breakdowns. I don't know if that speaks to success or failure, but that's where you stand. Yeah, that kind of perturbed me a little bit. It's kind of mad, salty over it. Okay, so we've done the countdown, obviously online, but this podcast format. It gives us the chance to kind of explain our rationale a little bit more. And we're in the top 10 and we're going to start off well, it's the top 10, but we had two guys point wise tied for uh, tied for ninth technically. So first one, Darius Washington, the redshirt freshman offensive tackle knee had him at 16th. Newberg had him at 16th. All I had him at eighth. The highest on the list was Bud Elliott at three, which I, I tend more to agree with Bud. I see the why you have him in terms of replaceability uh, you guys seem to go more let the the talent and what we don't know about Darius to kind of influence uh, where you were putting him. Is that fair? Yeah, I definitely. My entire list was, and I know people are going to disagree with it. It was more about most talented, yeah. and I know it's most important. I get that, but I think the two are very much synonymous with one another, especially in a case where you're dealing with a football team that's not supremely deep with talent. I get that. And and I think there's, we're all weighing them a little differently. Like there's a certain formula where you're trying to say value replacement level versus talent mm -hmm. and, and potential impact <clears throat> and room for growth. I think Darius is going to be a really good offensive lineman by the time it's said and done. I've been high on him since the recruiting process. And I remember telling the old staff about him and being like, are you guys going to offer him? We'll see. Are you going to offer him? Well, we'll see. And offer finally. <laughs> Finally came through and and they end up starting him as a as a true freshman at left tackle. I do think uh, you know talent wise he's he's not a top ten player on this roster yet, but importance like if Darius Washington goes down, guys, who replaces him at left tackle? What do you do? Probably Devonte Love Taylor. You move him, so then you're taking someone to move in a position. Yeah. Who enters the starting lineup then in place of Devonte Love Taylor at right yeah. guard or right tackle? Yeah, you, you deal with the whole moving pieces around the chessboard, but you don't have the right pieces on the chessboard issue. I think the issue becomes like who's the 
who's the replacement for whoever you take out of the starting lineup. Maybe yeah. Maurice and, Smith, maybe Chaz Neal. Like it starts getting pretty dicey. And in the way Bud's talked about his list, replacement value is certainly yeah. something he holds a great deal of significance. And, you know, talking about Robert Cooper, he's like, I don't think he's that valuable because that's a position where there's replacement value on the roster. So I do get that point. I think that's a very valuable point from an importance standpoint you guys were on opposite ends of the spectrum and probably, yes you were probably like a 90 10 in terms of 90 percent of it being which is why i think the composite's good because it balances yeah. the two viewpoints out i agree i'm happy we did it this year whether we have josh doing it next year or not i would like to do the composite again i'm definitely doing it next year <laughs> he's already researching now yeah. he's in fact going to write up the entire breakdown on each player like i do and we're doing all 85 them. next year <laughs> Some people do rank the worst to best players on the roster, which I feel is kind of mean. I like importance because it, it, it's not quite as direct. All right, tied for ninth with Darius Washington is defensive end Joshua Kando. Knee had him at 14th. Newberg at 20th. I had him at 6th. Uh, Newberg, you were the low man on Kando. Uh, why do you hate Joshua so much? It's because his namesake and you're just feeling pessimistic when you – no, inavail- in, inability to be available. <laughs> Inavailability. Yes. Yeah, the, coming off of – you know, it's funny. No, he has found an ability to be inavailable. So here's what's funny is we talk about his injury history, and last year he missed most of the season. He ended up playing almost every single game two years ago, and he played most of the games at some capacity level as a as a true freshman. Yeah. So, but the issue is he doesn't practice a ton, and especially during the spring, he's out. And the issue is the hype that he came in with, and the expectations yeah. that he came in with. Is it fair to say yeah. Kando is the guy that holds the most significance of a swing for FSU on defense? Like, yeah, if, if he's really like a, good, if he's really good. No, I think James Blackman. Well, he's it on defense. I'm saying on defense. Oh, on defense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, probably if we're doing like a wild card list which we'll probably yeah. do at some point when camp starts yeah i think kando has to be on that list and and is right up there because of what he can be yeah, yeah. what they what, he, what, what they can, need at that spot too what he can do can do can do mm-hmm. when he has it I, all right number eight. I do, oh hey i do take some <laughs> something I, I do disagree because chris had Janarius robinson up i don't have it in front of me but he had him fairly higher than kando yeah, I think Kando has the higher upside. I do too. Yeah, but I think Robinson's done more in his time. Correct. I agree it's, with that. Uh, Kando literally has more sacks than Janine I just think Robinson. Robinson's more of a situation. It's like we know what we got. He is yeah, what he is. He is safer, and he's really good against the run. I just mm-hmm. The reason but, I have Kando so high is because you need to compliment Marvin Wilson and Corey Durden inside with a pass rush. You need someone on the edge. Yeah. Who to me, last most- year – sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. So no. To me, last year was the first time Robinson – showed football player versus raw talent in his career here. And he was super raw when he came in. He was not well coached in high school, not his fault by any stretch. Last year to me was the first time we saw that. So if the evolution continues, which hopefully it did despite the circumstances, I think that he's going to up that ante. And that's why I was higher on him. I think some people forget with Kando, he was having like the best game of his career, or at least in the last year and a half against Virginia. Like he was doing a nice job mm -hmm. against uh, who's the mobile quarterback. I'm forgetting his name. I don't know. When I think Virginia mobile quarterbacks, I always think Marquis Higgins. I can't help it. Uh, that's, that's a while ago. Uh, Bryce Perkins. Bryce Perkins. There you go. Uh, he, he was doing a nice job, and then as soon as he went out, uh, they had to go to J-Rob for like 70 or 80 snaps in the game. He just got gassed at the end of it. Uh, it was just too bad. It seemed like the light was starting to kind of turn on for Kendo there. So if that continues, like, yeah, I'm with you, Chris. He, and this is why where I put importance, like he is probably 
the guy who holds the most sway one way or the other for how this season go for Florida State, just because there's so many unproven uh, commodities at, at defensive end. Okay, moving on to number eight now, defensive tackle Corey Durden. I had him at 14th. Josh had him at 8th. Knee had him at 12th. Uh, the high low of him was 8 and 14, which were represented on. So there's not a huge level of variance. I think we all think Corey's a valuable player because he's an interior pass rusher who can get to the quarterback. That's That means something. Do we have anything more to add to Corey? PFF, PFF I saw somebody posted on the board today, I think Columbus and all C-Bus and all, that uh, he's a top 50 PFF draft projection for next year, which I was kind of surprised to see. To me, Durden's a guy that if he can clean up his game, he can be really good if he cleans it up and shows more consistency. It's certainly there. The motor runs at a high level, and he has moments where he can thrash people. To me, it's just it's been very inconsistent with some way ups and downs in there, too, in his play. And that's kind of his personality, too. He Yes. He runs hot. He's an emotional dude. Uh, One other thing I would say uh, on Corey Durden, Corey Durden, before we move on, he dealt with a shoulder injury throughout all of last season. He may have even dealt with it a year beforehand too i'm not entirely sure on that i've been led to believe it but i haven't been able to confirm but the shoulder injury last year was for sure problematic where uh, it kept popping in and out and i think he probably would have had to have some kind of procedure done on it uh, it's a big reason why he comes back and, and doesn't go to the nfl draft and and you know, probably would have been a mid to late draft pick but but he comes back because that would have interrupted his his uh, pre-draft process if he needed surgery to clean it up so you get him back to team him with marv wilson and, and robert cooper like all right that's those three guys all give you something diverse and eclectic. So that's, that's why we have him pretty high because he's an interior pass rusher. You get to the quarterback that ups your value in my mind. Number seven. Right, this is one of the head scratchers to me. Asante Samuel, which I think is about fair. I had him at fifth. Chris had him at third, which I don't think is far fetched. Josh Newberg had Asante Samuel Jr. at 28th. Josh, explain yourself, please. Mm, I think I was just um did you just mess this up you can say it if you did and it's fine if, if you were wrong and you messed it up and, and you wish you had a read that's fine we all have one mulligan I'd probably have a little okay. bit higher um I think he just kind of slipped I wasn't going to put him in the top 10 because I don't see him as a true lockdown corner against the best wide receivers in the country and that's where kind of my mind was like he the, Sometimes he just gets toyed with, you know, with the bigger wide receivers. And I'm not going to just – just because he might be the, the the lockdown on this team, somebody has to be. But for me, I think he's deficient in a couple spots, and I just wasn't going to have him in the top ten. He slipped probably a little bit. He got away from me a little bit right now. <laughs> okay, that's, that's fair. <laughs> I, think, I think a quality pass rush makes Asante Samuel a deadly, yeah. deadly corner. And he is going yeah. to have issues. We saw it uh, as freshman. He's helpless out there at times. Lawrence Cager got the touchdown on him. Yeah. Uh, but they went back, took two plays, like, to to do it. Uh, and then last year against the Clemson wide receivers, was it Justin Ross? Yeah. Who, but they know they can struck? do it. I mean, that's part of the game plan. Like, they're I going gotcha. in with that, with that plan. It's not just happening. I got gotcha. you. But for all of those, like, he is productive in a lot of other ways, too. Uh yeah, if you wanted to say yes. that you had him at 10. Productive on the on the what-ranked defense, Brendan. Well, then, I mean, let's – so Marvin Wilson then shouldn't be in the top three because he was an elite defender on a – Why shouldn't he be in the top three? He, it's still, it's still relative that, to this list. But he's still he's – he's more important to me. I like that Josh is trying to make you feel bad. He's the one that ranked the kid damn near 30. <laughs> <laughs> 
And the logic didn't even make sense. Hey, I was just chilling. You invoked my name, so I, w- I was letting you go. <laughs> Number six, we have Dante Lucas. Knee had him at eighth, Newberg 10th. I was at seventh. I think the variation, the variance there was pretty minor. Bud had him at fifth along with Wayne. Zach, Matt, Zach had him at 13th. So I think we all agree he's he brings a little mean streak to the offensive line. He's important. He's going to start as long as he's healthy, right? Yeah, and he's, I like his potential. I think he's FSU's best offensive lineman. Like overall talent, top tier, I think he's the best one. Okay, I'm a little flustered still from Newberg having Asante Samuel like at 50th on his list. It's just mm-hmm. it's, it's a trap. He chubba partied him. <laughs> Fine, that's my mulligan. There you go. Thanks, Josh. I, and you know what? Made me relive te- that. Here's the tease. I have my mulligan coming up after this commercial break. We'll be right back in a minute. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, we are mercifully at the end for Josh Mercifully. Some of you are enjoying this. Chris is this is Chris's like favorite thing to do. I see him on the other side of that that Zoom. You look happy, buddy. You love this. We're at the very end of our top 40 most important player countdown list. Five more to go. You happy, Josh? You've reached the finish line. Yeah, but I got a I got a big one to explain here soon, right? Oh, that's true. Well, you know what we all kind of do too. You're not alone here, buddy. But here's my mulligan after giving Josh some crap on the other side. At number five, we have Hampson Nazraldine. Knee, you had him at fourth, Newberg third. I had him at eleventh, which doesn't sound like a huge deal, but I think once you get into like the top five to six range, like there's a there's a tear drop off and and the message board uh probably gave fairly gave me some some crap for having Hamsa at 11th I probably should have had him like an eighth or so I I think you guys are a little higher on a guy who's coming off a late season knee injury that required surgery I'm I'm high on him because I view him as kind of like the cleaner like he cleans up all the mistakes on defense and there was times last year during the Willie Taggart era where it looked like guys just didn't want to be on the field. And it, and there was definite times I should say that if Hamza Nasruddin didn't stick his head in there and make the hit, it wasn't going to be made. There was nobody else on the team willing to do it at times last year, uh, partly because they were terrible, partly because they were you know downtrodden. They didn't have a head coach, but Hamza Nasruddin answered the bell every single time outside of his injury. And he's done that two years in a row. To me, that's the thing. It's, it's been consistent from him. It's not like last year's tackle numbers were inflated by, you know, say the BC game and another game. He's done that two straight years, and I expect that to continue. I, the knee injury is slightly a concern, but by all accounts, everything we've heard, he's in great health. The only thing I would say that – well, one other thing to add positively to him too, in addition to being the cleanup guy like Josh said, he's versatile. 
Uh, he, mm-hmm. he has the potential and only like getting more versatile too. He was pretty good at both safety spots last year. That leads me to believe that gives FSU the flexibility to maybe have him cover a lot of spaces here while you put Jaden Lars Woodby or Brendan Gant as like the, the thumper safety role. You can put him as kind of a pass rusher. You can move him down to a linebacker on passing down. So he shows all those skill sets, which is obviously invaluable in today's uh, spread modern offense game. The one thing that's a little concerning to me, though, is if you look at the numbers, I'm going to look at the PFF grades, Chris. I'm sorry. He only had one above average grade against Power 5 competition last year. He did most of his, like, high-end work against group of five teams. So, to me, that's a little bit of a let's see. Like, we're, I think people are viewing him as an elite player, which he certainly could be. I, I want to see a little bit more before I'm ready to say that that's where he is. Otherwise, he'd probably be a top five guy. For me. You know, I've, I've thought about because you planted the idea in my head months ago when we were talking about Hampson about, oh, he doesn't have tackles for loss and some of those other flashy numbers. And that's true. But it goes back to Josh's point of him almost being a janitorial service. Mm-hmm. FSU's defense was coached like I almost dropped it there. It was coached poorly last year. Let me you, put it that you, you way. Say politely. Some swear words on here. Oh, I almost went with the big one. Oh, um, okay. <laughs> I think Hamsa in a more conceptually based effective defense will be able to flash more instead of having to worry about these damn dudes in front of me don't want to do their job. And I just need to make sure we have another down to play instead of giving up 35 points a game instead of 28. And that to me is what's kind of held him down to some regard with some of that. I think he, I think he's a guy that has the ability, the athleticism to do more than we see. I think the issue is he's not allowed to do more than we see because he's stuck in this, situation of having to make up for a lot of other people not doing their jobs makes sense i understand the logic there let's go on to number four Devonte love taylor the fiu grad transfer i had him at third i think that was the highest or you know, maybe someone else had him at two uh but newberg had him at five so not too far off chris you were the one with with a pretty big discrepancy there you had him at 13th uh, is this because you view him as more of a guard than a tackle to a degree and i just don't I'm not in love with him. I think he's going to start at right tackle for FSU and probably do it all year. So that's where the value is. But I don't like he doesn't blow my socks off as a player. Well, this is more I don't I don't like I don't like FSU's offensive line. <laughs> so like my ability to rank those guys, I understand they're important because you need to have an offensive line. But I'm not going to simply rank them top ten because you need an offensive line. Like you need to be some value of good. You know, some value of you're a game changer. You can either light up the scoreboard, keep the other team from lighting up the scoreboard, or prove to give FSU an opportunity to do one of those two things. And to me, Love Taylor doesn't fall in that category. I My top five is guys that I think directly impact the ability to score or keep the other team from scoring. And for me, Love Taylor is a guy who fills a role and will be good for FSU, but that is the complete length of what I expect of him. Chris's body language, and I say this as someone whose body language is often of uncomfortable. When talking about the offensive line, you shriveled like you had to poop. Like you just looked I just, really I, uncomfortable. I, <laughs> I am I'm not buying on that group until four games into the season, and they've had to do consistently the same thing for three games and made me believe that they're an improved, capable unit. And I think highly of the coach they hired to deal with that group, and I think that group is in better shape than they've been in years and actually has some depth to work with. So I think there's some positives. I'm just not buying into any of it because, well, they've stunk for the last several years, and you're not going to go from being really, really freaking bad to good overnight. There there's steps in the bad to mediocre that they have to achieve for me to start buying it. Josh, why is Chris wrong on this? I don't think Chris is wrong. I mean, based on your rankings, he is. 
somewhere wrong. Uh, you want to get to the next one. I know. I know. I know. I know why you came here today. Josh is hitting that Chappelle wrap it up button. Mm-hmm. Number three on the list. Brent, there's no hold on, Chris. There's no question. Brendan was the kid in class that would ask questions like with two minutes to go before. No, the I hate that kid. The people are you were definitely no, that, that guy. Uh-uh. Yeah, <laughs> like, I've already got the folder in the backpack. <laughs> I've already <laughs> looked at my lunch to see what I'm gonna yeah. eat first when I get in the cafeteria, and here he is asking a teacher about something about poetry as yeah, he's going to use that in the future of his life. Josh is kind of right, but I was not the kid who would. I'm too nervous to be wasting other people's time in that regard i'm too nah, you were asking like, is this assignment due tomorrow you were you were probably nervous about something I yeah it took ask, it took him 58 minutes of the class to raise his hand <laughs> with two minutes left in the class i would ask questions in the middle of the class to answers i already knew just to make myself feel better is that worse that's worse yes it is do you know what? Do you know what movie Johnny Depp was in? What horror movie he was in in the 1980s? Frankenstein. Can we get to number one? <laughs> number three, quarterback James Blackman. I had him at second. Chris Knee at tenth, and Josh Newberg at one. This was probably one of the most polarizing names on the list. I don't think that's a huge surprise. Josh, I'll let you go first and and stump for why you have JB at one overall. Yeah, I don't think you can really argue with my logic. Um, To me, he's the most important player on the field because it's such a quarterback-driven league. You either have or you have not. So I view him, like Chris said, as a swing. Like, in either direction, he's immensely important. So if he's really bad, it's going to be very important to the team. If he's really good, it's going to be really important to the team. James Blackman potentially has the single biggest impact on this team is, is why I have him at number one. As the one person on this podcast who went to the Sun Bowl, I can't forget. <laughs> Plain and simple, I can't forget. I like JB. I Hell, I stumped more for JB than most a few years ago. I just, at this point, I, I don't think he starts at the end of the year. I think he starts at the beginning of the year, but I'm not sold he starts the end of the year. I can't put a guy higher in my top 10 who I don't think is going to keep his job. And I know you're into, like, I understand the logic there, Chris, and it makes sense to an extent because you're placing value on who's making the biggest positive impact potentially on the roster. But if he's if you're saying he starts in the beginning of the year but doesn't finish the year likely uh, – that means something went wrong, correct? And, and hence, yeah, and really I expect important. something to go wrong. But that makes something <laughs> that's the thing. <laughs> like we could say, like, like Jawan Williams was important the last two years. Oh, because if buddy, why do you have to go there? You got to Abdul Bello, which was somehow even worse. Uh, so uh, I guess it comes back to how you we all I, judge important differently i suppose i think i even wrote in our personal blurbs about our top 10 he should be higher because quarterback's such an important position it might be the most important position on the field and the might is probably can be dropped it probably is the most important i just can't buy on the kid like i i'm done with it like if there was a I spring understand that if there was a spring under the new staff and he had showed signs and you know even spring game being the bullshit that it is he had performed well in that setting I would maybe be a little more comfortable moving on. I just don't expect him to start the whole year. I think he's starting because he is a guy that's returning. He's a veteran. He's been there. He's taken a lot of bullets. And I also wrote in my blurb that maybe he settles down and it gets better because he has more of a competent coaching staff. He has what seems to be a more stable 
unified unit calling plays, dealing with the offense than we've had in recent years around here where you feel like the head coach and the OC and the quarterback coaching and the receiver coaching is all on the same page trying to accomplish the same thing. He's not been afforded that luxury in past years, and that to some degree has ruined a lot of opportunities for him. I'm just not sure he's going to come back from where he is, where he was, where I saw him when we left Texas El Paso and he was, you know, devastated after was, extremely poor performance in the summer. He was, he was broken. You can say he, he was a broken yeah. quarterback in that moment. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if he got this, though. I'm not saying it happens, I, but I can I hope totally JB proves happening. me wrong. I hope he proves me wrong. He's very good, and he's the starter all year because that will mean FSU's a better football team than I expect him to be. So we include in every single one of these posts uh, for the player a fan vote. We put in a poll for you guys to to go ahead and vote. Usually, almost always, uh, the vote is that we had a guy too low. Not not every single time, but but usually too low, and they're not ranked properly. They're they're being underrated. Is, is or just rate. about right? Or just about right? Yeah, usually yeah. just about right wins out. But then when you get to the next one, usually guys think someone's underrated. For James Blackman, though, uh, he was mostly right, but thirty one percent of the readers uh, said he was ranked too high. So I think that's a good indication. Now, comparatively to Chubba Purdy, who we had at 32nd, mainly because of Chris's just horrible omission. Mulligan. <laughs> he was, when you talk about polarizing, 22% of the readers said that Chubba was ranked too high. 44% said too low and 32% said just about right. So more said he was too low than, than right. So when you see the people talking about James Blackman in, in a non-optimistic way, that often is meshed with him thinking that Chubba Purdy is going to be a viable option or not a huge drop-off. We're excited about Chubba. I had uh, Brad Sesmat to talk about Chubba Purdy on the podcast the other day. I think we all think he could be something pretty impressive in this offense, but man, that's very optimistic in my mind to think that a freshman quarterback is going to be ready. Hey, it could happen. Maybe he gets maximized well under, under Mike Norvell, but I think people are, combining James Blackman being inconsistent with thinking Chubba Purdy is the future. And, and that'd be great if, if you find a franchise quarterback this year. I'm just, I'm not sure how early that happens. Number two, Josh, we're almost done. Tamori and Terry. Nisa had him at second. Josh had him at second. I had him at second. We'll move on. <laughs> we'll move on there. We all, we all are in agreement that, uh, that Tamori and Terry is pretty damn good. Marvin Wilson. Folks. Marvin Wilson is the most important player on FSU's roster in 2020 per our panel composite. Chris Nee had him at one. Josh had him at two. I had, or sorry, Josh, you had him at, oh God, hang on. Can I have Tamori and Terry in at the same place? Josh, where did you have him? I I had Marvin Wilson at two. I had Tamori and Terry at four. God, I messed it up. Who was your so one? So it's okay. My one, I'll just, my one was James Blackman. My two was Marvin Wilson. My three was Hamza. And my four was Tamori and Terry. And five was Love Taylor. There we go. Taylor. All right. There we go. The six, the person who had him six is what got me thrown off there. Bud He's had, but Bud had, well, you're not your six. That's just, that's another. It's a symbolic move, Brendan. It's symbolic. It's something. All right. Bud had uh, it's a metaphor. Wilson at six. And I think he explained it. Nobody else used a metaphor in their top 10, whatever. It's not even a metaphor. It didn't even make sense. All right. This is this has been but, fun Bud, for most Bud of Bud went with replacement value again. Yes. He feels like the DT roster is good enough that if Marv was to stumble, fall, get hurt, yada, yada, that the next guy up would hold more value. 
versus Darius Washington getting hurt and there being nothing behind him. It makes sense because when you go beyond Corey Durden and Robert Cooper, you also have Fabian Lovett, you have True Thompson, you have Dennis Briggs. I mean, that's... I'm just not wired that way. I will say this, that it's hard to quantify what Marvin Wilson means to the team. For for defense that hasn't had a lot of guys playing hard like Hamster Nazar did, like Josh Lutuzu, that's someone who brings it pretty consistently, even if his play isn't always consistent. He's a thumper and enforcer. He's willing to mix it up. I think Asante Samuels in that category too. I think Amari Gaynor to a lesser extent, just because he was younger last year, is in that conversation. But Marvin Wilson's the one guy who you know is going to bring it every single snap uh, that, that lives up to his potential consistently. And leadership. Not everyone, that, not everyone on that defense can do that. I think that's invaluable. If this defense is going to be good, Marvin Wilson has to be at the the core of it. If he gets hurt, even if you have, I'm with you, Chris, even if you have Cooper and Durden there too, and I like those guys a ton as well, it, it's not going to be the same. I don't think there's a chance this defense can be top 25 this year without Marv on the field. I think leadership is another part of the equation too. He he is a guy that people fall on the team, and he's a guy that does set the tone on the team in work ethic, going about business, how they conduct themselves and how they do things. And I think we've seen that when he spoke out and things were certainly disheveled and we've seen that plenty with how he gets after it during the off season. Well, that was a great review of our list, Brendan. I really appreciate it. And um, I think everybody can agree that my list was the best, um, most thought through. Certainly the most read. I loved your use of metaphors. Yeah, exactly. Nobody else is on that level, but if you liked my FSU's top 10 most important. Please leave a review and tell me how great of a list it was on our iTunes. And while you're there, give us a five-star rating. Anything else, Brendan? Stick in the landing.